everyone, I'm back. I know it's been a while, life's been a bit crazy, but uh, I wanted to keep going. And this is, uh, this post today is about something very close to my heart. And hopefully it will encourage all of you too. Um, it's the Generation 2300 uh, blog slash podcast slash video. And Anna Morton back again. So let's get started. Um, it's been on my heart lately to share why the rapture is such a deep source of hope, you know, for me and for everyone who believes Christ and trusts in his death and resurrection to be made right with God. So I will start um, with the clearest teaching on the rapture that we find in God's Word, which is First uh, Thessalonians 4. 15 through 18. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who have fallen asleep, those who have died in Christ. Uh, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. So, not only are these words comforting, but I find them so exciting. Even in the darkest hours, this promise always gives me hope. Because, I mean... I couldn't carry on without hope. I mean, who can? How can we face the reality of all the suffering, just from everyday unkindnesses to even heavy sorrow of death, unless there's a purpose and an ending for it all? Um, and also, who would experience to ch choose to experience the wrath of God, which he promises will be poured out on this earth? when there's a way to escape it, yet so many choose to. So this post, this recording, is about one thing that offers hope and escape for all of us, and that's the rapture. I mean, when my life gets stormy, I need an anchor. I mean, don't we all? An anchor of hope that the storm will pass and I will make it through. And the waves have been pretty choppy lately. Um, sometimes I don't know which is harder to bear. The, like, the personal struggles that, that touch like every part of my life you know, and every part of me on a daily basis that wears me down. Or just the need and strife of the entire world and every single person that I feel so powerless to alleviate. I mean... But there is just, there's not any anchor that will keep me secure. Um, there's only one kind that cannot be moved by anything, which will keep me secure. There is one that no force will budge, no time can erode it, and no person can change it. The only power like this, the only anchor, which has no power greater than itself, is God. And 
to make it personal his promises to the church. Um, so when those boat toppling waves just keep coming over my boat, I never quite despair because I know that God will never let my anchor be shaken loose. His promise to take me home will always stand and I can never be lost in this sea of life. And I know that I'll still be there when all the storms stop. He sails me home. And he will bring me home. That's the blessed hope. That term comes from this passage in Titus. It says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that, denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking, present tense, for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. So Jesus Christ, my Savior, is coming back for me, for all his church. That's the blessed hope. So why must the rapture happen? Why must it happen? Well, Jesus said he would come back, and for definite specific reasons. He'd be breaking his promises if he didn't come back in the form of the rapture. And the number one thing that he said is that he would receive us to himself. In John 14, he makes it very clear, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Number two of why the rapture must happen is to deliver his own from the Father's and his wrath coming in the tribulation described in Revelation. In 1 Thessalonians 1.10, he says, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come, the wrath to come. Uh, number three, why the rapture must happen is to complete our salvation and redeem our physical bodies. Total salvation is coming. So 1 Corinthians 15 makes this clear. Uh, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. Same trumpet of 1 Thessalonians 4. Where the trumpet will sound. About this in 1 Corinthians 15. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. Like in 1 Thessalonians 4 talks about the trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead in Christ will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. This body right now is corruptible. It's decaying. So we need new ones. And then number four reason why the rapture must happen. Uh, because Jesus is the bridegroom and he has a wedding to bring his bride to. The church is described as his bride in Ephesians 5. 
and it's a Jewish tradition for the groom to come and get his bride for the wedding ceremony at an unspecified time, so she has to be ready. Revelation 19.7 talks about this marriage. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. That's in Revelation 19, right before Christ returns to earth. Okay, these are the reasons why the rapture is happening, because of the promises that God made. And, okay, so part two is why does the rapture give me hope? Uh, number one, because it's a signless event, uh, a prophecy that could come to pass at any time. Any time. While I'm making this recording, it could happen. So anytime I will be leaving the difficulties of this world, anytime I will be in the perfect presence of God, anytime my Savior and my Bridegroom will be keeping his promise to come for me. You see, a signless event, a um, signless prophetic event, means that there's nothing that God's Word tells us must happen before the specific event can happen. And it's always been that way with the rapture. That's why Paul, in the letter to the Thessalonians, refers to we. Um, he was expecting Jesus Christ to come to return in his lifetime. Uh, a little uh, important note I'd like to point out. Um, the fact that Christ hasn't come back yet doesn't mean that the Bible has been proved wrong. That because Peter tells us in 1 Peter 3, or 2 Peter 3, that God is waiting. He's waiting for more people to be saved. Um, the passage says, The Lord does not delay as though he were unable to act, and is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness. We're so impatient, humankind. But is extraordinarily patient towards you not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. That's from the Amplified Version, translation of the Bible. So, and another quick note is why the word rapture? Because it's not, don't read the word rapture in the English Bible. In 1 Thessalonians 4.18, this is where it comes from. The original Greek word is harpazo, which was then translated into Latin as rapturo. Then English translated it as caught up, hence the teaching rapture. And it means to snatch away. Um, the extended version in Thayer's Greek lexicon is, quote, use of divine power transferring a person marvelously and swiftly from one place to another, to snatch or catch away. So, in case you're wondering where the term rapture comes from. Uh, so, it gives me hope being a signless event because I know I could be taken out of here at any time. Oh, that's encouraging. Okay, and the next reason why it gives me hope is because it's a rescuing event. Jesus is coming for his bride before the Father pours out his judgments on this earth, his final judgments. Because 
uh, in Revelation 3.10, it tells us, Because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial, which shall be upon the whole world, to test those who dwell on the earth. Uh, some people object to the rapture, usually in Christian circles, because it seems like wishful thinking, like an escape made up by some Christians who want to find a way out of God's judgments during the tribulation and revelation. But, I mean, if you look at the Bible literally, you don't need to make up a miraculous escape. It's right there, pretty easy to find. I mean, is it really so far-fetched to believe that God would spare his children and Christ's bride from his own wrath? There is no greater wrath than this. It's totally different from the tribulations the church has gone through for the past 2,000 years, i.e. it's much worse. Um, but on the flip side of wrath is the anticipation of Christ's return. So there are two parts to the future coming of Jesus that Paul talks about. And part one is for the church, and part two is with the church. Um, both of them are part of the teaching that people term the second coming. So, uh, like in 1 Thessalonians 4, I read before, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, and we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. That's part one. Okay, so part two is, now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. He was clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. That's Revelation 19. Um, clothed in fine linen, that's also used to describe the church in Revelation 5, 4 and 5, and also earlier in chapter 19. Um, another description of part 2, the second coming, is in Zechariah 14. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle, and in that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east, the Mount of Olives shall be split in two, Zechariah 14. So there must be two parts because first Jesus stays in the air and we meet him there. And then in part two, um, he lands on earth and we're following behind him. So I'm counting on this rescue happening this way because, number one, Jesus tells us that he's returning to bring believers back with him to his father's house, not to judge the world, but to rescue believers. And then number two, he also told us that he will keep the church from the hour of trial that's coming on the whole world. These are in verses are in John 14 and Revelation 3, respectively. He's taking the church off-world for the rapture. That's clear from these passages. 1 Thessalonians 4 is especially clear. It says, 
we will meet the Lord in the air. So when I read all these passages together, and just take them literally at face value. There's only one point really in the future when a rapture could happen. And that's before the tribulation coming upon the whole world. Now, I won't go on because this isn't supposed to be a dissertation on a pre-tribulation rapture, but I couldn't keep from touching on it because it's such a part, an integral part of the greatness of the hope to be found in the promise of the rapture. Um, so the last thing that gives me hope about the rapture is that it's a personal event. I mean, the greatest, the greatest hope for me about it is that it's an act of love by my Savior. It's personal. It's amazing. Jesus promised that he would come back for the church and bring her back home to be with him. There's so much love there from him in that promise. At any moment, I could be face to face with the one who loves me perfectly. I'll be away from the struggle, the illness and decay, the evil of this world and surrounded by perfect love and justice and peace and joy and wholeness and life. But even greater than that is the, is the fact that I'll be with him. I'll be with God and there is no one like him. No one like Yeshua, the Messiah. No person or even experience can compare to him. He's the very definition of perfection. And he loves me. I mean, that's so humbling and so joyful. There is, just imagining it gives me the, like, the deepest, greatest joy I've ever known. And knowing this, being absolutely sure that it could happen to me, it lifts my heart in the darkest hour. I mean, no matter how dark life becomes, it's amazing how nothing has ever stamped out this joy. I'm always 100% sure it's going to happen. And to wrap it up, why do I even talk about the rapture? Well, to me, who wouldn't even who doesn't want to talk about the greatest joy possible? That's why I talk about it. And I love to think about it. And when it gives me such joy, how can I keep it to myself when it's available to everyone? And so often people, they throw it away. I am floored. I understand, but I'm still flabbergasted at the same time. They reject Christ for even listening to what he has to say in his word, in the Bible. Why? I mean, what else have you or anyone ever found which offers such hope? And that's based on what the actual God of the universe, the all-powerful, all-knowing God, has revealed to us in written form. So, just read it. Read it. I implore you, all of you, those of us who know Jesus and those who don't, 
to examine or re-examine his beautiful, unchanging words. Ask God the hard questions and listen to what he has to say through the promises that are already given to us in the Bible. I mean, the answers are all right there, and he wants to reveal himself to you. That's why the Bible is here. And that's the best part about studying all end-time prophecies, is they reveal so much about God, and it's mind-blowing. I mean, the depth and the richness, the wisdom and knowledge of God. He did not leave his church as orphans in the first century, and he's still the same. He promised the Helper, Holy Spirit, then, as he redeemed them and us spiritually, and now he promises he will bring us to him. They counted on him then, and he came through, just as he said, and we can count on him with equal certainty now to do what he said. I will come again and receive you to myself, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, and we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. It's hard to quote John 14 and 1 Thessalonians 4 again. Just amazing. So I hope these words bring you comfort and hope. And say it one more time. Read his words. Mine have no power. I'm just quoting him. But his are power. I mean, they're just amazing. So read them. So thank you for sticking with me and listening or watching. or um, And as always, you can find me uh, and this post, and if you want it in written format, go to the blog, it's gen2300.com, or uh, Generation2300 on Telegram and Rumble, and then Anna Morton on YouTube. You can also find this, or find me on Spotify, Anchor, Google, might be a couple other podcasts, but definitely those, so... Thank you so much again, and until next time, unless we're raptured first.